Welcome to the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influitive, where we talk with customer-obsessed people to uncover how you can be more customer-focused. I'm your host, Dan Kalmar. Today, I'm joined by Allison Hafner, VP of Marketing at TrustRadius. Allison is a ballerina turned marketer with a proven track record of driving growth and brand recognition in the technology industry. As VP of Marketing at Trust Radius, she focuses on creating a trusted brand that meets customer needs while empowering buyers to make more informed technology decisions. Our conversation today centered around a recent report that Trust Radius released, the B2B Buying Disconnect Report. This annual report surveys both B2B buyers and vendors to understand not only how buying behaviors are changing, but whether those of us in marketing are keeping up. There were so many good tidbits in this report, and I wanted to dive deeper into some of the topics with Allison. We chatted about the voice of the customer and how it can be the ultimate differentiator for companies, the types of resources that are actually making a difference in buying decisions, and why the CFO has become the newest guest of the B2B buying decision party, which doesn't sound like a super fun party to attend. Nothing against the CFOs, it just seems like a lame theme for a party. Allison, welcome to the All About the Customer podcast. So great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So today we're talking about this report that Trust Radius has come out with. Uh, this is the seventh annual one, I believe. So th- this is not a new thing, but it's the B2B Buying Disconnect Report. And I want to spend this episode diving into some of the insights that that I gleaned from it that I think were either you know confirmed suspicions that I think a lot of us had or, or maybe were a, a surprise to me. But let's set things up just... Tell us a little bit about the report and you know what it is, why it needs to exist out in the market. So this report is really important in the market because essentially what we're looking at is year-over-year changes in the way technology is bought and sold. And so uh, if you think about Trust Radius, there's millions of buyers that come to our site. They're looking at all this important product information. They're looking at peer reviews and ultimately making a technology decision. So we want to understand like what makes them tick. Why are they making that decision? What goes into that decisioning process? And then on the flip side of that, we also survey uh, all the technology vendors uh, that are on our site, and we want to understand how they're going to market. And then we look at the disconnect, given the name, the B2B buying disconnect. So over time, what we've seen is these kind of year-over-year changes. We've seen essentially some new insights year each year, given the macro trends that we're having. Um, this year, we really focused on the economy. I think this has perpetuated a lot of trends that we've seen over years. This has also brought some new insights into the kind of the, the, buy, the buyer's mindset. And one thing that we've also seen is that the disconnect kind of continues. Uh, and what that tells us is that this report is really important for marketers and sellers, really, to think about a new playbook, think about a new mindset. Um, and so we're really excited about this year's report. Uh, and the big theme here is last year we saw that, you know, most buyers want to self-serve. You know, most of the buying committee um, are millennials and Gen Z is a very close second. Uh, they're digitally native. They're used to having all this information at their fingertips in the B2C world, right? And so in the when all of their kind of tendencies or their expectations of interacting with a brand in the B2C world kind of transcends over to B2B, we're starting to see this kind of self-service 
now going in and putting the economy lens on it and everybody's kind of in this different economy than we've been in in the past, it's really about proving that you can drive value or you're going to lose customers very, very quickly. And so um, to your point, these were kind of already maybe suspicions. And this, I think this report just confirms a lot of the suspicions that we've had um, of where kind of the technology industry is going. Well, I think I think a key word like it, it's in the title. It's B two B buying disconnect report. Like like it's, it's not it's not the connection report. It's it's the disconnect report. And and I think that's a really important part of this is that you're not just surveying buyers. You're also surveying the sellers, like the other side of this, to understand like what are people doing. And I think in some ways it's probably disheartening to see the disconnect when when you are a marketer when you're a salesperson. But it's maybe heartening to see that you're not the only one who's who's doing these things. So I think that that's that's really uh, really interesting. And, and so you mentioned you know this report is it's kind of showing this continuing trend of self-service. And that, that was something that was a big theme in the 2022 report. And I think in the intro, it talked about how this has already been an existing trend. It's just getting more and more entrenched, I think is the word that was used. So I'm interesting to get interested to get your thoughts around why you think self-serve is becoming the way that people want to buy in general. And then what is it about 2023 that's making this more and more entrenched? Think about yourself as just like you buy technology. Everybody mostly has some kind of tech stack that they're responsible for or interact with. And if you're not in market and you're not really interested in a product, the number one thing buyers said that they will, that will make them less likely to buy from a vendor is cold calling, cold outreach, and not being able to find important product information that's readily available. And so that's huge. That's a big mindset and that's a big shift from where we've gone where, you know, you, you have this huge BDR team that's doing constant outbounding. You have a sales team that's doing constant outbounding and buyers just are completely turned off by that. And I think it's because, again, people want to do things on their own time. They want to find the information that they want when they want it. We live in this kind of information rich era. And so if you have to call a salesperson to get pricing, that that just feels like a weird gated kind of transactional relationship. Um, and so, and I think on top of that, so in, the, in terms of a relationship, people want to align themselves with brands these days and people want to um, have a relationship with their vendors and, and, and I think even in this economy, like that's going to, that's a huge piece of the, of not only getting new buyers and getting them interact, involved with your brand and wanting to uh, engage with you, but then it's also keeping your customers loyal. So um, part of the title this year is prove it or lose it. And we really believe that because when customers start looking at their tech stack, they're starting to totally reevaluate, um, you know, why, why do we have this piece of technology? Are we using this to its full capacity? Is it integrated with the rest of our tech stack? And when you're not like a core piece of their tech stack and you're proving value, customers are starting to let, starting to make those cuts. And you're seeing it, uh, across the board because 87% of the buyers said that they've, they've reevaluated their budget because of budget cuts, because of the C-suite getting involved 
and because of just the overall buying committee growing. And so when you see that, kind of that's a little scary at first for go-to-market teams, but just because you have your base and your and your this customer base doesn't mean that they're loyal either. So you're kind of looking at it from both ends on the like the new logo standpoint, but then also your customer base. One thing that was interesting that you talked about that I think is, I'm going to use the word disconnect again. I feel like it's the, the word of the, today. This episode is brought to you by the word disconnect. Uh, is, is you talked about how buyers now more than ever want to build these relationships with brands, but they also don't want to interact with the brand. Like they don't want to interact with salespeople. So how do you, how do you in your mind kind of balance that? They want to build these relationships, but it sounds like they in some ways kind of don't. I think it's, twofold, right? It's they don't want to build a relationship until they're ready to like engage with a brand. So what you want to really focus on in your go-to-market strategy is how do you make that buyer shortlist? And so I think it's, um, and, and I talk a lot about this of kind of like this like demand creation where you know, make sure that you're creating a lot of like interesting content. Like I think like a pod, like these like pod, like you're seeing podcasts all over the place and it's great. There's too many of them. There's so many podcasts. I know, but at the same time, it's like, great. Like, you know, get some information out there and start building relationships with people um, that are on your podcast, start to reach into like their network. Like you can see this kind of network effect, but I think that Overall, like the what has happened in marketing is that demand gen, classic demand gen, where you're really thinking about the capture of the demand. How are we getting it to our SDRs? And it's kind of like we've made it this linear process. And what's happened is that we haven't focused on kind of like the brand and demand creation for when people are actually in market then they think they connect our brand to that. And they're like, oh, great. I know that I have this problem. There's solutions out there. What's a really like prominent brand that I want to like align myself to or reach out to? And so what we see on Trust Radius, which is really interesting, is if um, buyers are coming to our site and they're looking at a particular category, if they look at a particular product page that doesn't have pricing or some kind of like demo or video customer reviews, then they'll go look at their competitors. And so I think there's like this, this notion of uh, giving, making a ton of content available for people to connect with your brand, giving them all this product information up front, giving them the customer voice through reviews, testimonials, videos, whatever it is. And so they can make all that connection. So when they do have a problem, when they are in market, you can then capture the demand. But I think if you're not doing all that stuff um, or not focusing on it, then it's really going to hurt you down the line because then there's not going to be demand to capture. And, and one thing you talked about in the report, and I think it's the perfect time to bring this up, is you talk about how one thing that buyers really want, I forgot if I have the statistic, 97% of buyers want all their resources in one place. Uh, what does that tend to look like? I mean, I think Trust Radius is a great uh, solution for that. Like, what, what can that look like when you're trying to balance giving them everything they need, but knowing that they don't trust vendor-produced resources as much anymore? Right. And that that's a really good point. And the vendor resources have to be backed up with your customer voice. And I think really customer-centric businesses do this very, very well is one thing that we've just seen over time is the skepticism of the buying committee. And it's 
not a surprise at all. Again, this is something that we've kind of known, but the, the data really backs that up, is that they're super, super skeptical because if you think about the technology scene, everybody starts sounding the same. It's really hard to um, get a really distinct kind of pithy message that cuts through the clutter, especially if you're a challenger brand um, kind of entering a new space or trying to create a category. Um, it becomes very, vo- very noisy for buyers and very confusing. And so I think a way to differentiate and cut through that is through that customer voice. And you can have that in all of your own channels on social, your website, your email, like everything that you're putting out in the market, you can embed the customer voice. And then it's important to have that on third-party forums as well, because essentially they're not going to just look at your website. They're going to go to these third-party forums, whether that's like, you know, some kind of community, social um, like a trust radius, they'll go there and they'll, they're going to validate all of those claims. And the second thing that we saw this year on top of the skepticism is the risk aversion. So one thing that we look at every year is what sources do people use in their like purchase decision and what, how influential are those sources? And one thing that popped up that wasn't even in the top five the year before, ever actually was prior experience. I think it, I think it jumped up by like 20%, I think I saw. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so that's huge because now when you go when we were talking about your loyalty and this customer base, it's so important to build those advocates, create a platform for them to to talk about their expertise because Hopefully they say loyal to you, but then if they that person goes to another company, they're going to remember that experience with their brand and they spend a big part of their budget as soon as they go to a new role. So how um, how can you keep those advocates, re-engage them? Um, and I think that's going to be a big part of like the strategy going forward is if they're super risk adverse and they were an advocate and that's how you create the two-time buyer, three-time buyer. Um, and and that's how you can really sustain growth. Yeah, we talk about how people want to be self served more, and I think we've touched on this a little bit. But if you're a marketing person, if you're a salesperson listening to this, like, what what should your role be now? Uh, when people are increasingly not trusting the materials we're coming out with, they don't want to talk to sales reps, and if they do, it's really late in the process. Like, how do sales and marketing? Maybe this is really two questions. Maybe you need to treat them on their own. What's our what's our role now in this? Going back to the the marketing role, I think again is around this kind of how are you creating a brand that people want to align to and what's the strategy to do that? And that's and you align that with your sales team because essentially if you are doing a lot of demand creation, you can start to see like again when your BDRs are reaching out, you can start to see if people are in market, there's, you know, the intent data scene is completely blown up. And I think that's a good thing. I think understanding where people are in their buying journey is really important because you can start to see when you should be reaching out, how you should be reaching out. And then also if you're the type of marketer that's, okay, hey, I'm going to create all this content. I'm going to make sure that I'm validating my claims with the customer voice. I'm going to make sure all this product information is readily available. Let's get interactive demos. Let's get pricing on our website. 
et cetera, then the sales role becomes more consultative, right? They don't have to be this gatekeeper like, hey, take a call with me so you can see this or take a call with me so we can discuss that they can do a lot of the research on their own. And then the buyer's more informed, the buyer's more aligned to your product because they already know a lot about it. And then the the salesperson can be more consultative. They don't have to be a gatekeeper of information. They can just talk to the person, really understand their problems, and then marry that with the solutions that their product offers. And I would also think if you're a salesperson, that means that by the time somebody's talking to you, they're probably really interested. Like those should probably be really high quality conversations you're having instead of, you're probably gonna have fewer exploratory calls where you're like, I don't even know if this person has the budget. I don't even know if they know what we do. Uh, right. And I would imagine if as a salesperson, that's probably a more enjoyable call to have. Exactly. And I think that's like a big just driver at Trust, like one thing at Trust Radius that we always talk about is just like this like quality over quantity. And it's, and I think like this, this whole like, hey, I'm going to get thousands of leads and 8% of them are going to convert to, you know, a meeting. And then that, that meeting conversion rate is, you know, X percent. And like, it's just like, you can see the inefficiency happening. And so I think the role, and, and we can't afford that inefficiency anymore. And I think where this economy has really pushed go to market teams is kind of on what we've always should have been doing. <laughs> and now like this, the, these, um, when we're kind of in this economic climate where, you know, we need to be essentially break even instead of growth at all costs. Now people are like, oh, this is probably what we should have been doing all along is really focusing on the quality buyers that we want to be talking to. And like, and you can see to your point where it's like, you can see the down funnel effects. Like if you bring in all these buyers that already know a lot about your product, already know a lot about the use cases and already know the price, that sales cycle is going to be a lot shorter than somebody that didn't get all that information up front. Yeah. And can it be tough though, when you're trying to, like a lot of times, if you're selling a SaaS product that has a really high price point, a lot of times there can be the sticker shock, but once people truly understand the value, that's when it's like, oh, okay, it makes sense. Like, how do you try to balance providing them information, but still giving them the right context? I, I totally agree with that. And we get a lot of questions because you can put all your pricing on trust radius and everyone gets like a little, um, nervous. And there's like easy, like people just want ranges. Like there's a lot of people that just put like, Hey, here's the range or starting at, or, you know, I think that there's creative ways. And we did this at trust radius and all I, we sat down with our sales leads and we said, okay, how do we want to talk about pricing? How do you want to position it? And that's what we have on our site. We have our pricing and we also have it on our page on trust radius. It's just an alignment conversation that you, that the marketing team and the sales team and the messaging and positioning, just like you would anything else. Again, like if you're worried about sticker shock, how's that person going to feel when they get down the line and they don't really have that context? And again, like if you go back to the salesperson being more of that consultative, talking about, you know, this really solving their problem, if they have a little bit of a range of the pricing, then again, like you won't have that big drop off at that proposal stage in your sales cycle. So there we go, sales and marketing folks. We're not out of a job just yet. Although I am worried about this chat GBT thing. Let's hope it doesn't get into podcasting anytime soon. You know, it's not that sales and marketing are done for, but we need to adjust our strategies. 
Marketing needs to start to help create materials that can better arm prospects to self-serve, and salespeople need to be guides, not gatekeepers. Giving up too much control can be scary, I get it. Why would we want a prospect to self-serve when we can control the narrative? But the problem is, we can't. We can put out materials, but buyers are more equipped than ever to find the truth. We need to stop clinging to how we want things to be and start servicing buyers the way that they want to be serviced. Another thing that you talked about, and this is kind of keeping on the marketing side of things, is talking about how vendor-provided resources are not as valuable anymore. They're not being used as much. But obviously, the the information that they can provide is is still important. And one thing that really stuck out to me in, in the report is talking about you need to prove value where buyers are doing their research. So like kind of hitting them where they're already naturally doing this stuff. Like what does that tend to look like? So two things, and, I, and we kind of clarify this in the report because it was funny when we were doing kind of the draft. I'll give you some insider knowledge when we were drafting the report. I was like, we can't make it sound like nobody's going to marketing materials anymore. Marketing, you're out of a job. You don't have anything to do anymore. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this this doesn't sound great for marketers. So I want to make a, two distinctions. I think that you have to remember a lot of the buyers that are on Trust Radius. Um, 56% of them, when we survey them, are going to make a purchase decision in the next three months. So they're very bottom funnel. They already know your product. They're looking at your uh, competitors. They're starting to do those comparisons. So when we talk about the the validity of or and the usage of marketing content, we're, we're kind of talking about two different stages of the buying cycle. So buyers, when they're actually making a purchase, they're less likely to look at your marketing materials because again, they're already, they want to validate what they might've already seen, you know, on your social, on your website, on your, from your emails, from your webinar, like whatever it is, then they're going to go and invalidate that. Look for your customers, talk to their peers. And so I think that when you're looking at the report, look at it from the lens of these people are like bottom of the funnel, ready to make a purchase. And so when I look at marketing content, again, I think this goes back to the customer voice. What a lot of our customers do, and this is like the most simple thing, is they take, they just dynamically embed all of these quotes from these reviews that they have and put it on their website, all over the website, all over their landing pages. So their customers are essentially doing all the talking for them. They put it on maybe like their pricing page. They they have customer quotes that talk about the value of it. Um, they get really smart about, okay, here's all this content. I've harvested all this customer voice through my reviews. I'm embedding it across my website. I'm putting it in my blog. I'm putting it in my press release. I'm putting it in my social. And that that is sounds so simple and like table stakes, but you rarely see it. It's really hard to find it sometimes in, or it's like buried on like one page. Like people have aggregated like, Hey, customer stories on one page instead of making it part of their messaging. And so I think that's like the distinct difference where you're looking at from the marketing lens, you can still make all of the um, more maybe like top of funnel, like that demand creation content still really valuable and in, and make customer voice a big piece of that. And then when they're going to other channels and validating what you're saying, it all kind of comes full circle. Um, and so I think that's the, the piece to look at is like these buyers are making a purchase and they're not going to consult your website they're going to look at other ways to validate what you're saying on your website. 
And if you're creating this top of the funnel content, so it's it's good. Marketing still has some job that they can do. Uh, and, and you talk about how it needs to, it, maybe it's not even specifically that this content is just all content needs to hit buyers where they're already doing the research. Like what can that look like? Like if I'm creating some sort of top of the funnel asset and I know that a lot of times if it's on our site, people might not trust it as much. Like what can it, how can I embed that in other places online where people might be doing the research? So I think the one thing that marketers can do and that's almost like a, an untapped source is what are you doing kind of like with your partners? What are you doing with, you know, other kind of social forums or communities that are people are in? How do you kind of create a voice within those? Some brands that I've seen do some stuff really well is when they create their own communities and they kind of take a step back and they let people be kind of the ambassador of it. They, and then they, they use kind of that like social equity that they're creating within their community very sparingly to get content across. Or you align with some of your partners that you guys are going after the same target audience. How can you guys have, you know, align on messaging and get that in front of, uh, an audience and it's coming from, you know, again, two trusted brands or something along those lines. So I think people need to get creative about, again, the channels that they're reaching out, who they're doing that with. But I do think that there's like this sense of building communities or inserting yourself into one, but being, I, I kind of caveat that with like the authenticity of it because uh, it, it, it could go south real quick and people can smell a marketing message a mile away, especially when you know you're like, if you're, uh, uh, marketing to developers or the IT space, like you have a lot of these technical people that are like, I do not want a marketing message. Like I'm lucky enough that I market to marketers and I love that. And they're <laughs> marketing to marketers is the best, but you, you need to be on top of it with like that messaging and so forth and, and really understand your target audience. Um, and the last thing I'll say that I think that I think is important and is done really and, and when done right uh, can be really effective is creating um, employee kind of like brand ambassadors. And I think this is done poorly when it's not taught properly and in, internally. So, you know, copy paste, hey, marketing gave us all the social copy. I copy pasted it. Now it's on, you know, LinkedIn and there you go. And it's like, actually what you should be doing is coaching your employees to build their personal brand. And so they can have this kind of authentic voice in, and they can, you know, align with whatever your brand message is. But like, essentially, how do you help them create a personal brand that people want to interact with, that people want to listen to and consume the content that they're putting out there? And that really builds trust as well. And I think kind of almost to your point, like all of this is laddering into that brand trust. And the more you build that, right, the more people are going to want to consume your content. Yeah. Well, and the, the employee side is is something that's really important. And, and I, I think, like you said, very untapped, uh, you know, Influitive acquired Post Beyond uh, a few years ago now. Um, and I, I think it was just for that purpose, right? I mean, this is, you know, getting the voice of your customer, getting them mobilized is such an important thing. And having your employees at your disposal as well is, is such a, an amazing way to amplify the voice, amplify the message, but it, it can often be done incorrectly. And one thing you talked about too, was you talked about how a lot of times when we're marketers, like people can smell that we're marketers, they know it's a marketing message, but it goes back to the voice of the customer is that's how you get away from that is you have 
your customers kind of doing the messaging for you a little bit. And maybe you're doing the legwork of embedding in places, but when you have a developer talking to other developers, it's not going to have that same marketing fluff to it. And I think that's where we need to loosen the reins a little bit as marketers and just kind of trust that a little bit. Like, why do you think marketers aren't embedding the voice of their customer everywhere? Like you said, a lot of people just have it tucked away on the customer stories page. Like why aren't marketers doing it more? It can be difficult. I, I honestly think that marketers are balancing this idea of like, you know, you get into a room, you're talking about the positioning of your company, then you build a messaging framework and you, you're talking about the overall brand and your brand identity. And it, and it becomes this like almost like your like child that you've like created this brand. And then almost like the, the customer voice is an afterthought. And so it's almost like too late and you're like, okay, well, so really good customers are really good kind of customer led organizations are doing the reverse, right? They're talking to all of their customers. They're getting their feedback. They're getting that on like an aggregate level. I think that's really important. One thing our customers do is they look at like kind of the overall sentiment of their reviews. They look at keywords of their reviews that their customers are using. And then they infuse that into when they do messaging exercises, when they do kind of that brand positioning. And they're like, how are our customers talking about us? Because I think when you do that in reverse and you get all that customer feedback and all that sentiment, the words that they're using to describe you, the use cases that they're activating, then you um, then you do the messaging process. Uh, project uh, influenced by that, you're going to have a way better outcome. And then when you start to add more customer voice, you start to see that it'll align. Because I think sometimes what happens with marketers when they start with messaging and then they try to tack on customer voice, it doesn't quite match or it doesn't quite tell the story or the, the overall like brand narrative. So um, I encourage marketers to start and like organizations in general, because you have to get the CEO involved. You have to get, you know, whatever, whoever else in the C-suite product, your CRO, you have to get all these people aligned. And I think if you do come with like the customer and all this kind of like sentiment and those keywords, et cetera, people will listen. And, and that's really how you drive like a really customer centric organization. A lot of the advice I'm hearing recently from guests on the show is that, yes, you're involving your customers in the process, but too late. Sometimes it's as simple as just flipping the equation. Rather than developing your messaging and then talking to your customers, talk to your customers first. This way, you're working based off of messaging they actually use, not just trying to shoehorn in your vision where it doesn't fit. And so I'd love to learn doing this report this year what what surprised you the most I'll, I'll start with mine there, there was a lot of things i was surprised by but there was two that kind of jumped up maybe i'm cheating by saying two but uh one of them was that only 10 percent of people have halted new technology purposes like i would have thought that that number would be a lot higher and i think it shows that people are still buying they're just tighter budgets and they're being more strategic with it and then the other thing and it's it's kind of on the same vein is 13% reported no changes in their buying process. And I'm like, who are these 13%? How do I, why can I work at one of those companies? They don't have, they haven't had any changes in their buying process in 2023. That sounds, that sounds pretty nice. But I, I'm curious to know if there's anything in this report when you were, you and your team were putting it together where you're like, oh, I didn't expect that. Yeah. Those are two really, really good call outs. And maybe just to piggyback off of that. So the two that I found surprising is that 
more of the C-suite is getting involved in the purchase decision, where years prior we saw the democratization of purchase decisions. It was at the practitioner level or the team level that was actually using the product, and you're starting to see um, that actually become more centralized again. And so I think, again, so when you talk about, like, people are still buying technology, it just how that is happening, who is in the buying committee, um, and that decisioning process is what's being really influenced by people having constricting budgets and just more oversight from the C-suite. I think the second thing that I found really interesting this year, maybe not shocking, but interesting that we hadn't really looked at in years prior was ROI. So if you think about this like skeptical risk-adverse buyer, the C-suite's involved, Probably most of, we didn't ask this specifically, but I'm very sure most of that is a CFO. Um, and everybody is talking to their CFO more and more. And so when you think about ROI, the big disconnect between what buyers want in an ROI like message or from a, from a product and what marketers market is very different. So buyers want time savings and cost savings. And marketers, a lot in their messaging, are saying uh, impact on revenue. And so that's kind of this disconnect that's happening where people are, where buyers are like, look, like my budget's cut, my headcount's cut, I have to make a business case to the CFO. It is much easier for me to make a business case around time and cost savings to a CFO and just thinking what I have to do with my team then saying, hey, this is how much it's going to impact our revenue because the CFO is going to come knocking and being like, great, like how long is that going to take to realize this value from revenue? Hey, where's that revenue, right? And so I think that buyers are skewing towards more of this like, those are kind of low-hanging fruit where you could be like, hey, like integrating, making your life easier. You could cut costs by this much by using our product. Like those types of messages really, I think, are resonating more with buyers because they're, they want to mitigate risk um, instead of saying like, hey, you're going to get this much pipeline or this much uh, revenue or 10x return. People are like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> like That doesn't feel that tangible. So I thought that was really, really interesting and it made me even think a lot as, as a marketer myself. I like to think these CFOs before were just so lonely and now everybody's talking. I feel sorry for any introvert CFOs who didn't have to talk to anybody before. And now they're being looped into all these discussions. Everybody wants to talk to them. seems like a lot. I hope the CFO has got a pay bump this year for four CFOs. <laughs> I don't know if people want to talk to them or they want to just make sure that the business case is so they can unlock the budget. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll spin it how anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, that makes sense. Don't take it personally. People, people want to talk to you, I think. So so before our uh, normal wrap-up question, I uh, just want to put the ball in your court. Anything around this report or around buying disconnection in general that we haven't touched on that you think would be good to for the listeners to know? The, the last piece of the report that we kind of get into that I find really, really interesting, and it pertains more to because we like to look at reviews and how people are – are reading reviews. And so I think a lot with kind of the conventional knowledge or the way that, you know, um, people think about their peer reviews, there's kind of like this, you know, how many do we have? What's our overall product score, et cetera. And when you look, or we got to win all these awards. And when you look at the data, 
less, it was like 1% actually cared about awards. And we're kind of conditioned to like, we just got to be on this hamster wheel and we got to generate a ton of reviews. The second uh, least kind of thing that they cared about was the amount of reviews. And then the third was the overall product score. So it's challenging this kind of convention, conventional wisdom where vendors are kind of on this like hamster wheel of like, I got to just get this score up. I got to get thousands of reviews and I got to win this award. That doesn't really matter to buyers. Um, what mattered was that they could see reviewers that were like them, relatable to them, and the review content. So they wanted to say, hey, this is, you know, another VP of marketing at a similar size company. Um, and wow, this is like a ton of information that really shows like the in-depth knowledge of the product and the use cases that they were, that they were activating and the results that they were seeing. And like, that's what they care about. So I think when people think about like kind of their like overall like peer review strategy, I think the data and the report really challenges some of the kind of conventional wisdom that we have. And I think also when you think about like your resourcing, to be on a hamster wheel and like drive, like trying to get these overall like numbers to win an award and that's expensive. It's like really expensive. <laughs> and so, but that's not really what buyers want. So again, when you're thinking about like, I think this report really helps marketers think about resourcing. Um, and where to spend their time and their budget, um, and what's going to have the biggest impact on their buyer, especially at the bottom of the funnel. Yeah, and that, that goes back to something you talked about earlier on, that you focus on a lot of trust radius is quality over quantity, right? And I think you're right. Like if, if everybody's just trying like, hey, we need a million reviews, and it's like, well, that's not actually what people care about. They care about having a little bit more breadth and finding people like them and the quality of these. It can help you shift your resources. You don't have to try to get a million of these. Maybe you need fewer of them, but you need to just focus your energy a little bit more on getting variety. Um, so I think now more than ever when we're all – strapped for resources, we're strapped for money, we're strapped for people. Uh, I think you're right. This can help us make sure that we're heading in the right direction and not going on this hamster wheel. Uh, hamsters, like, it's, I feel like it's a negative phrase, but I feel like hamsters actually like hamster wheels. But for marketers, we don't want to be on this hamster <laughs> no. wheel. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> so the question I always wrap the show up with, uh, if you could give one piece of advice to the folks listening at home to make them more customer centric, what's that one piece of advice you would give them? So this is a very kind of like tactical thing to do and do it in your process, but interview your customers every quarter, uh, maybe just pick like a subset of why they renewed with you or maybe why they didn't renew with you. Um, I think it's really important to kind of do that kind of close one, close loss analysis. It sounds simple. I know it's like a process and talking to the customers who's going to talk to you, but I think it's really, really important to be customer centric is to understand why they're actually buying you and why they're not. Um, and so I would definitely ingrain that into your process quarter over quarter. I love that. Super simple, super actionable. Probably not enough people are doing it though, which is why it's great advice. Awesome. Well, Allison, this has been terrific. I, I love the report. I hope you keep coming out with them every year. I learned, I learned a ton from it. Uh, a lot of surprising findings. Uh, so thanks so much for being on the show and talking about the report. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dan. It was great to be here. So first off, on a personal note, I'm so impressed with how well Allison knew this report, like inside and out. 
I thought I'd ask her a question and she wouldn't have insights into it and we'd have to cut that question, but that did not happen. So color me impressed. Reports like this are so insightful because it can help show us marketers the reality of the world. It doesn't matter how we think buyers should buy or the content we think they should consume. It presents us with the facts of how buyers buy and then challenges us with the question, so what are you going to do about it? The biggest takeaway from this report for me is that this trend of self-serving buyers is only getting stronger. Like this didn't just happen, it isn't a new thing, but it's only going to get worse or better depending on your views on it. Our roles in marketing and all customer related functions are changing and we need to keep up. I highly recommend you check out the B2B buying disconnect report, find where your own disconnections are and then ask yourself, so what are you going to do about it? This has been the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influtive. I've been your host, Dan Kalmar. Until next time, let me know if you're part of that 13% of buyers whose processes haven't changed. I want to know where you work. I want to know what's going on there.